Welcome back to Pittsburgh Made Episode 3, Dakota Lamb alongside Spencer Witt, and we're going to be joined by Logan Carney a little bit later for a special segment on the show. No quiz show today, and Spencer, that means that Logan's going three episodes without a win. It's, a it's an thing. asterisk. It's, it's an asterisk <laughs> that, you know, I think he was afraid of not being in a quiz show. That's why he's not here right now, but, you know. He didn't fine. want to fall to 0-3, so he just didn't show up. Yeah, like, I don't blame him, so, you know, I respect the decision. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little briefer than the previous two episodes because of that special segment we have coming up on the sports topics in the world at the moment. We'll start off with the Penguins on the brink of elimination, move into the extremely disappointing yet not surprising Pirates season, talk a little NBA, NFL, and then our quick thoughts on the breaking news regarding fall sports, including Whippeal football. But we'll kick it off, Spencer, with... The Penguins losing last night, Game 3, to the Montreal Canadiens. Now on the brink of elimination in this best-of-five series. They didn't look great last night. What do you think happens in Games 4 and 5? I mean, it was... It's funny because I've been talking about it for months, about how you know the Canadians, ever since this was announced, the Canadians were a team that they've always struggled with when it comes to like the lower-tier teams of the NHL. And, yeah, it's... I don't see them getting out of this one. They could. I, I think that they might win game four. Or you know, they, if they win game four, though, I don't think they'll win game five. It's just, it It seems like something is just off. I don't, like, something about the Penguins. I know their power play was lacking on the past couple games. Yeah, and then last went, night they was, go two for two, like back to back within a couple yeah, minutes and, of each other. And you're like, all right, well, we, all right, the Penguins finally got themselves back on track when it came to that, and I think everything else will pretty much align in place. And the wheels fell off defensively, especially. I think, you know, giving up four goals to the Canadians, a team that doesn't score as much as they were given up last game. You know, it's I. Do you think I, expectations I, I play into it at all, like into the players' mentality that they were so heavily favored in the series? Everyone was unanimously saying the Penguins benefited the most from the COVID delay. They had people coming back from injuries. Everyone favored them to probably sweep the Canadians, and now they might lose the series. Does that play in mentally, do you think? I think that yes and no. I think that, yeah, there is a little bit of idea that the Canadians are you know, the, the worst of the two teams the Penguins got. They got Jake Gensel back, but Jake Gensel, even then, I think the past couple of games, he's looked a bit... a bit. Um, there's something off, like, he, like you yeah, said. Yeah, there's something off. He doesn't, he doesn't look like he's the same Jake Gensel that we've always seen him from before, before he got injured. And I still, I still believe that for a lot of these teams that this season is a wash. That's just my personal opinion on it. Yeah, I started to see some of the Twitter grumbling of like, if they lose this series, Sullivan has to go. And it's just insane no, to me. No, it's... I don't think any coach should be fired if they lose this series, no matter what the team is. Now, it's it would be designated towards your last season. Yeah, that's true. But like, if it's because if, if people would want Sullivan to get fired because they lost a five game series to Montreal. In a after not playing for like four months, that's not that's not right. I agree. What scares me about this is if the Penguins do come back, win the next two games, there's still so much to be played. Like this isn't even we're not technically into the playoffs yet. These are the qualifying games. So this team does not look 
well polished for a Stanley Cup run, given their struggles against the Canadians. Yeah, I mean, even yeah, even if they escape Montreal, I don't know if they'd be able to get past. Uh, I think it'd be their the Flyers or someone else, whoever the Flyers are playing. I think. Do you buy into any of the arguments for switching out goaltenders, even if Murray hasn't been the blame so far? Just some kind of spark, something. No, because I think it would be more. I think you need to switch up the raw the uh, the lineup. I know Laffy played yesterday, uh, but I, again, I don't I don't see Murray being the issue, and I don't see Murray being the one that has to fault the blame and you know be the scapegoat per se. I think that the rest of the team, especially before last game, I would have said the power play lines need to definitely be changed, but now it's they're kind of on the right track. But I think that it's more of the the skaters than the goalie. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I hope that hopefully if there was something mentally about being the favorite, hopefully something sets in mentally now that you just went through this whole process, this long quarantine, moving everything up to Canada to this bubble site. You played three games and now your fourth could be your last after all that. Hopefully it wakes them up a little bit and and we see a different team on the ice for these next two games. But yeah, like you said, worried about the future series if they get past this one. I'm going to be disappointed if they are eliminated because I think the NHL has done a phenomenal job with this restart. The The arenas look so good, covered up the seats, added all those boards behind the benches. And then I love the Winter Classic style camera that they can't usually use because there's fans in the way. I don't know if you have any thoughts on the the product that we've seen so far from the NHL. I've liked it more than the NBA's. I don't the the NBA fan thing that they have the big oh I, it looks weird. It's I don't so like it. weird. I don't like that, but I I do agree. You know they have the big signs though going around the the corner too, or going around the uh, with the fans usually up the upper level. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice. I think it's it's a little bit enjoyable. Still feels weird, but it's not that bad. And on the health side of things, they deserve some praise for pulling off this bubble thing. We we learned today that the NBA had similar positive results with no positive test since play began. NHL had the same thing, no positive test in the bubble since play began. So this strategy has worked, has paid off for them, and hopefully it continues throughout this entire Stanley Cup playoffs Spencer, as someone who has called games in the past, do you have any thoughts on the the situation that the announcers are going through, specifically Mike Lang, who has been set in his ways for such a long time, such a long career with the Penguins, having to call games remotely off a TV monitor in Pittsburgh? I haven't heard Mike Lang. Uh, I haven't heard his yet. I can tell you that, you know, from personal experience, it's definitely a different feeling because you don't see everything. Right. I'll give you a huge example. There was one game, it was Steve Mears and um, uh, Bob Airy were calling a game, and there was a penalty. Steve asked Bob, did you see what the penalty was? He goes, no, I didn't. And they're like, well, they went to a commercial break. And they're like, well, we'll, we'll just find out what <laughs> happened when we come back because they couldn't see the penalty, and they didn't see the, uh, the referee give a motion because it wasn't on the camera. Right. So it was kind of like... You know, it, it, it definitely is a weird feeling because you're kind of just, I feel like you're not, you're not in, in as into the game as you would be if you're watching it just from a TV and there are some angles and stuff like that that you wouldn't get. But yeah, I'm that, curious if they're watching like the raw TV broadcast or I would hope that Mike Lang has like a GoPro shot of the entire ice 
for that purpose yeah. to be able to see what's going on. The one time I definitely noticed it was on the game one NBC broadcast. Crosby got slashed or stabbed or something in the face-off circle, and the camera quickly panned away from the face-off, but you just got a glimpse of him laying on the ice in pain. No one ever mentioned it on the broadcast until last night. I finally saw AT&T mention it, showing a replay of it uh, during Game 3. But it's got to be difficult for them to see what's going on on the benches. Like The line changes have to be so much harder when you can't see everything that's going on. Yeah, during the game, at least, I feel like you if you don't if you don't know it, then you'll never know it. But until maybe a little later, like like you said, down the road or a like, commercial breaker when someone in the crew mentions it. But other than that, yeah, as a commentator, you're not going to notice it from the start. And at a certain point, it's almost not even worth mentioning if you don't mention right, it or if you right. don't see it from the start. I uh, was listening to Mike Lang's game one call for like the first and second period and I just love the visual of him and Phil Bork sitting in like an office yeah. at the at the X with his emphatic calls of goals, and there's like no one; it's just him and a producer in this empty room. I gotta, I gotta be honest. This is a hot take. Pittsburgh fans might not like. Oh no! What are you about to say? Mike Lang, I love him. Great commentator, incredible. I think sooner rather than later. No, it's, it's gotta go. It's it no. Has, no, I'm sorry. I'm Has the sorry. quality degraded for you? Yes. Yes, oh, I think that it, yeah, he is slipping a little bit more than than normal. That's I'm a not terrible saying take. He's fine. I, I'm not saying he's. I'm not saying he can't like complete a sentence. But it's just it seems like. And granted, this series wouldn't help him either if he has to sit there and watch a screen. But you can tell it's just kind of it's it's slightly slipping a little. And I'd like to see him go out without you know getting to a point where he just starts mumbling. I'd like to see him go out with another win another stanley cup under his belt i in a perfect world in a perfect world the penguins win a stanley cup next year and then he he can go out like that but i I would definitely not i would definitely not be like okay can him this year because that's not true that's 100 percent not true but within the next two or three years i would say hey i i'd give him i'd really be like listen i don't are you are you all right doing this you know having listened to so many dick groat broadcasts i just like mike lang doesn't even phase me yeah that's <laughs> fair that is fair um but i don't even know who would replace him or anything like that i don't even know i don't even know if he goes does he go to away games still or no he i think only close ones if that but no it's mostly been um terrible that neither of us are going to remember that guy's name but they do the x has a second play-by-play guy for the penguins oh yeah uh, i remember hearing him yeah, I don't remember him, but I'll, I'll look it up later. It, okay. yeah. it was Steve Mears, and then Mears transitioned to the TV side, and I know they have someone else that does it on the on the radio side. Yeah. So that's final thoughts on the Penguins. We'll, we'll see what happens in Game 4, and then I guess on our next episode, they're either going to be playing into the, the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, or we'll be watching a Stanley Cup playoffs without the Penguins, which would be Yeah, real quick, bravo to, the, uh, bravo to both, both the NBA and both NHL when it comes to their bubble i mean i kind of expected that they they really lined everything up as to you know coming and going and keeping the virus out and it was kind of in a perfect world you can do that and and they have the money and the resources to do that for the time being so i didn't expect them to get any viruses i didn't expect them to get any outbreak either maybe a couple but i give them a lot of credit you know for what they're able to produce product on the field and on the or on the court and on the ice and you know, not have to worry about the coronavirus. 
One more quick thing on the NHL. Have you heard anything or have any thoughts on what this next season is going to be? Like we're already running into when training camp would normally be for the 2021 season. They're not going to do a bubble for a full season, right? How could no. you possibly? To be honest, I don't even think they're going to do a bubble anymore. I, I still believe that they'll look at the MLB and what the MLB is doing now. The Marlins are back. The Phillies are back. And if the MLB keeps it at what it is, you know, maybe even if if the virus is an issue down the road, you can't even guarantee that. We don't know. But let's say it is. You know, if you look at what the MLB and the NHL are doing, the only issue I have is the Canadian-U.S. border. But other than that, I think they're going to try and do what the MLB is doing. I think it's going to be your players are going to go play and they're not going to go anywhere else and you're not going to make them go anywhere else. And that's it. We will we'll see what happens. Moving on to baseball, now that you mentioned it, and the Pirates. Man, do they suck so bad. 2-10 and ten record. It's so bad. Logan, I think this is the other reason he's not here, is to defend his absurd predictions last week. We need, the we need the sound bites fast. <laughs> we need them as soon as possible. I mean, this team is so bad, we have to ask the question that Twitter has fully embraced, which is, is this an intentional tank? I wouldn't call it an intentional tank, but I would call it more of a we don't care. It, like I don't, I, so I personally don't bad. think I don't it's see so them caring bad. about this season. The, I mean, this team is so bad and has blown so many. And they're that's the thing; they're really not that bad. And why I can't buy into the intentional tank theory? They yeah. have they have had so many leads. They've had decent offense in some games, and then the bullpen blows it. You have a stellar performance by Trevor Williams last night, lights out, and then just bullpen obliterates it. So I just don't know what you can look at to make you think that that is an intentional thing. I I, I look at it more of a let's see what we're going to do in 2021, not a let's see what we can do in 2020. And just the, (laughs) the logistics of an intentional tank are so ridiculous to me. Like the fact that the front office would be telling athletes not to compete. Yeah. It's it's just not a realistic thing. Yeah. I, you can tell that the, the product of play is, is down, but I don't necessarily think that, yeah, they're telling him to be down. I think it's just a, it's kind of like a, they're not going to put a hundred percent into the season. I don't think to be honest. And I, I don't blame them. Deadspin had a pretty brutal article. Is a sentient AI trying to destroy the Pittsburgh (laughs) Pirates? And they wrote, you'd be excused if you felt like the Pirates should just be removed from the schedule. Most of their fans would like to forget their existence altogether. Yeah, because there was a drone. There was a drone (laughs) above the field. a drone delay. And a drone delay. And I heard that the the relievers were throwing baseballs at it or something stupid like that. Deadspin put that in the article. And they said they were clearly missing because if they were, if they would have hit the target, they would have been starters. The one absurd thing about this article is they kind of indicate that the loss of Chris Archer to injury was some sort of significant loss. And I just don't think that this writer has seen Chris Archer pitch in the past three seasons to think that was the case. Yeah, that I think the absurdity of a dead of that Deadspin article is a, a lot like most of the absurdity, the <laughs> absurd Deadspin articles that come out. That's fair. That's fair. A lot of people, though, even with 12 games into his first season, have completely turned on Derek Shelton. A lot of the Pirates' blogs are openly writing that he should be fired after this season, that he can't manage. I I mean, it's just the most ridiculous Pittsburgh sports media thing I think I've ever seen. I can't imagine firing someone into a se- in a season like this because of this season. With this roster and bullpen, how could you possibly <laughs> think that it's the managing that is... Produced a two and ten record. 
if you want to argue, if you if this was a regular season and he was performing like you know, let's say they they won like forty games, sure, I'll give you that. But if they win, if they go fifteen and you know what, I can't even think of the number, fifteen and forty five. I wouldn't even get that mad. I would. I would say, you know. I'd say that's about right. I'd say like that's that's fine. I'm yeah. not going to complain. I it's it's this season. Now next season, if they only win, you know, fifty. If they win, they go fifty and one hundred and ten or whatever. I'd be like, all right, let's. We'll start talking, but not not this season, no. And that's just absurdity. You know, this man was thrown into this. First off, he doesn't he doesn't have as much control of the situation as as he should and and if he had more control of the situation yes you would deserve to fire him but not not this year here's what i think happened you had the mobpa and the mob come to the agreement to change the playoff format an hour before first pitch on opening day and at that moment pirates fans thought oh my god we actually have a chance and we're going to go on a run and we're going to possibly be a world series team with this awful team because of this changed playoff format and i just don't think that is an accurate that is not an expectation that anyone should have had yeah no i i agree and it's it's absurd the whole thing is just absurd this season is absurd everything is absurd it doesn't and it, it doesn't warrant any changes when it comes to to be honest when it comes to anybody i i wouldn't i wouldn't can anybody on any any team in any place no nope. for this season no matter what happens one of the people that is going to be coming back supposedly soon is Keone Kella. He was on the injury list with COVID and some other bizarre things that were sidelining him. He has been said to retain his closer role when he returns. And that's going to be important because when I put this bullet in our rundown yesterday, did not know at the time that Nick Birdie was going to be out for the season. A guy that has been just plagued with season-ending yeah. injuries in his career. you got to feel bad for him. It looked like he finally was figuring stuff out. He was dominant in his first couple appearances. But, I mean, are you even going to need Kayla that much? Like, what's the point? Yeah. In what I, situation I, are we going to be safe in games? I wish I wish Nick Birdie was back. I, I feel bad for Nick Birdie. I mean, I remember watching last year. I watched the game where he literally, like, blew out his arm. Yeah. His arm just, like, disintegrated. And it was... It was sad because he was a solid pitcher last year, even in the couple games that he was pitching. And even this year, I don't think he's been horrible either. He's been a, a solid. I wouldn't call him great. I wouldn't call him. But in the times that he could, he's been all right. And he doesn't deserve the injuries. No one deserves an injury. But, like, it's just it's plagued him, and it's sad. But, yeah, Keone Kella coming back. I mean, I, I have high hopes, high expectations for Keone Kella. But you're right. I don't see you know how how often do they really even need him. Uh, I mean, I think we're both kind of on board with the potential 15 and 45 season, like you said. And yeah, you know they've already what's left on that 13 wins. Is Kayla really going to be involved in that? I, I don't think so. Any final thoughts on this abysmal Pirates team? I mean, I don't even know. It, it's it's not like that. I mean, they got crushed yesterday, I believe, but. It's not like they're getting like absolutely demolished. They're no, just they're like kind of yesterday losing. it was it was Trevor Williams dominant. It was one nothing through I think seven innings, and then you had the bullpen just blow it up. Our our good pal Davidas Nevarakis never fails to ruin a, a nice start. He's the worst and best Lithuanian player in MLB history, <laughs> and that's what matters. Yeah, I mean even like looking at the scores, it's not like last. Remember last year when they lose, they give up like ten runs at least once a week. I mean they haven't done that. It's, yet and it's 
it's not like they're playing the Cubs when they give up 30 home runs in a series or 30 runs in a series. I mean, they're losing, you know, six to three, four to three, two to one, five, four. Right. Right. It's it's just it's frustrating. My it's, final it, thought is a prediction for next season that the Pirates are going to bring back since the seats are empty. They have rolled out these tarp advertisements over the empty seats in the outfield. Yeah. And like Root Sports is digitally superimposing them over empty seats and on the batter's eye in center field. I bet you for day games where there's an attendance of like 4,000 next season, they roll out those ads and are trying to cover up all the empty sections at PNC Park. I could see has. it a la, a la Oakland, Oakland Coliseum yes. where the top part is all is all tarped off. I yep. could see them doing that if we if we get to the point where it's such a bad attendance next year and they just push everybody from the top section down. and Because this team isn't going to be good next year either. They're going to be better. They're not going to be good. I don't even know if they're going to be better. They might be at like a kind of like the in same. A, the same path for like Yikes. two or three years and then move up. Well, that's something but to look forward to. I yeah, it's <laughs> not really looking forward to it. By the way, real quick, yeah, my uh, I am ashamed by um, Verizon FiOS. So I, I was going to put this on the, the rundown, but I wasn't sure if anyone had FiOS. So yes, he's, I'm excited he's, to he's hear got, you They've talk got about this. Uh, AT&T Sports Two, which came out last week at the beginning week thing. of the Penguins and the Pirates. A big move I, on AT&T's part to pull I'm that I'm so off. happy because I remember seeing, like, there were, it was only a couple years ago where you couldn't watch some pirate games. There was a couple pirate games, and I remember people on the sports media were flipping out. Well, actually, there's only, like, two people. But you should be able to watch every game in the Pittsburgh area, and they finally bring this out, and Verizon Fios does not have it yet, and it's so annoying because I sat there for an hour yesterday watching the Penguins pregame when I could at least given a little bit of a crap about the pirates and i couldn't my I'm not piece happy. of follow-up related to this is i think in our first episode we talked about the ridiculous blackout restrictions how you can't stream on mlb tv yeah i my tv provider is at&t tv which is all streaming and at&t tv owns at&t sportsnet but has never had that channel well they finally added it on opening day this year but so they pulled this off. It's three years in the making. They finally add it. But then, of course, it's going to take another three years before we get AT and T two. So we at least I at least have one channel. But yeah, when the Penguins play, still no way to watch the Pirates because of That's, the crazy blackout stuff. I mean, we might not need that yeah, coming up, but who That's knows? That's a good point. Uh, NBA restart underway in Orlando. Like we said earlier, no positive tests since the players entered. I have watched a few minutes of these games, but have not been deeply involved. Spencer, what's going on down there? Call me when, call me when the uh, Eastern and Western Conference Finals come up. That's really all I see. Call me when it's Lakers, Clippers in the one side, and it's going to be—I don't even know who would be on the on the East. I think, uh, probably like the Sixers and the Raptors and Boston. It's. it's their their startup is kind of weird because they were playing a bunch of like round robin style games, so it's kind of like you're you're watching these and you're like, okay, if your team's playing, you're interested, but are you really that interested? Um, and I know a couple teams got eliminated. I think I know the Pelicans got eliminated, so that's big for the whole Zion Williamson affair. Um, but other than that, yeah, it hasn't been too interesting. I haven't been interested. In it at all. I've only seen a couple minutes and I just 
I have zero interest. I like the NHL playoff style format. Yeah. I think it's really interesting when it comes to like this season. The NBA so far, you know, they've got a couple, I think they have like two weeks of round robin style games and you're kind of like, all right, let's, let's, let's move forward a little bit. Right. It's kind of getting stale. I think what's telling about the NBA's quality of play so far is if you just do a search for NBA on Google News, the results that are coming up are still related to life in the bubble. Like people are more curious about these guys living in a Disney resort for yeah. months than anyone is really caring about how the games are going. So I think once they get into the actual nationally televised playoff games, it's going to be better. But the people that were clamoring for any sports to be back just to watch it really has not come true. People are not tuning in in droves to these NBA restart games so far. Yeah, and and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of other things going on in the NBA when it comes to their the 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 on the court issues and stuff like that and what the stance that they have that a lot of people are kind of they have an opinion on they want to go with it but at the same time there's a lot of people that don't have that opinion and also aren't aren't helping and when you kind of just want to watch basketball when you kind of want to watch sports it kind of it conflicts a little bit but it's not it's it's something that like i haven't gotten into yet when it comes to the nba and it's I'm I'm not interested in the NBA yet. That's the real reason. I just don't I don't have any interest until the playoffs. I agree. Uh, and we're going to move on to the NFL next. But some breaking news while we're on the topic of basketball: there are sources reporting that several power conferences in college basketball are having preliminary discussions to, like the NBA, have their seasons in a bubble and mandate that all of the athletes take their courses online from within the bubble. What are your quick thoughts on that, Spencer? Crazy. I mean, you we've heard so many different things being thrown out in the past couple months, but I, I think it's it's crazy. I we we are getting to a point where what are we doing? Where are we how are we moving forward with anything? I think this honestly, if you think about this, if their entire courses, a lot of the major universities invited students back and then moved all the classes online anyway. Yeah. So there's no logistical reason this shame, couldn't happen. I, I'd be interested. I think if you're trying to pull off a college basketball or any college sports season, really, you're going to need to do something like that or seriously realign conferences and schedules. Because what gets into it is crossing state borders, and you have different yeah. outbreaks in different states. You're going to have governors making different opinions and, and policies. So I don't see how you're going to have it be allowed to have large groups like a college team and all the support staff traveling in and out, in and out of state, in and out of campus, and not be considered a health risk to others. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, I think that's the way it's going to be looked at. And I think, yeah, and I, again, I, I still look at the idea that I, I don't like the idea of pulling the trigger for college basketball. College football is a little bit different, but I don't like the idea of pulling the trigger for a November sport right now, like in, in August. Yeah, but, yeah, I think that's Because I, I, I don't see, I don't know, I, I don't see this being something that you can, you can, you can keep too safe for so long when it comes to this whole coronavirus and if people are going back to classes, you know, then the idea is, well, they can, they can go to class, but they can't play their sport. They can, they can mingle with people on their campus, but they can't, 
you know, do the do the thing that they're there for. But at the same time, when you have team classes that are going online, they say, well, if you can, you can go online, then they shouldn't be playing their sport because they're online. So everybody's different and everybody's not on the same page, which means that it's it's so difficult to put everything on the same page to start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk more about that and the logistics of, of team testing when we get to high school sports in a minute. But first, real quick on the NFL, they came to an agreement with the NFLPA. I think the opt-out deadline is today for players to tell their teams without punishment they can opt out of the 2020 season. But as of now, the schedule going on with as planned, there are some people suggesting that they should scrap it, rethink conferences, rethink how everything is scheduled to accommodate uh, delays. The MLB is is canceled series, and they're going to be okay because they can make them up as double headers or move them to later in the season. NFL really does not have that luxury. Have you seen any of these, Spencer? And thoughts on like building in a bye week and weeks two and three for everyone, just in case, or moving non conference to the front of the season? You think they do any of these things? My concern is this: we have to define, and I, 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 told, I talked about this with the Marlins. I talked about this with the Phillies, and the Phillies is my big, is the biggest example when I look at this. We have to define what an outbreak is. The Marlins had an outbreak. They had what, fifteen people test positive? I think it was. The Phillies, on the other hand, I don't think they had any players test positive. They might have had a couple, at most, right? I don't know right. if you know exactly. I, I don't if know. the NFL, if one player tests positive on the on a National Football League team, do you scrap everything for the next three weeks for that team, or do you say, well, we isolate this person and we make sure no one else has any symptoms or anything like that, and we go forward? Because if you if you do the one, there's no way teams are going to be able to finish their weeks. But if you do the other one, I think that you'd be able to get through a lot of stuff. But like the Marlins. If something happens along those lines, I can't guarantee a team will be able to finish their whole season. But the NFL is built different than the NBA, the MLB, and the N- than, and, uh, than the NBA, MLB, and NHL. And that they're in it for the money. And they know, they know that they have the money on their side and, they have any, and they'll do anything they can to get that money. Yeah, and, and regardless of what be- happens with the NFL, you're going to have the TV deals being lucrative in the ad revenue for not just the networks, but for the league itself. So yeah, they're going to be fine regardless of what happens in stadiums. Some of the, why I don't think there's a need to alter the schedule, especially at this point is the contingencies built in, I think accommodate these fears of, of games being canceled. You have every team that is playing each other in week two has the same bye week so that if week two is canceled for any yeah. or all of the league, they just move it. They postpone it without any logistical issue. Week three and four, no divisional games. So if there's an outbreak after week one, you just cancel weeks three and four. And then each team that has two home games and two away games, every team has two home games, two away games over the first four weeks so that during the first four weeks of the season, if they have to be canceled, they would still have the same amount of home and away games for all 32 teams. With those three contingencies, I think they're pretty well set for regardless of what happens. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think that, you know, we're the numbers are down. They're going down with the virus. You can't, again, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of time between August 5th or August 6th, excuse me. And, you know, what the first week of the year, which is what, end of September, I think, or the beginning of September, middle of September. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely see what happens. Regarding fans, the Steelers' public attendance plan is they're going to plan on having a limited number of fans at Heinz Field, but the reduced capacity hasn't been determined yet. I say good luck with that. I, yeah. After the Blue Jays getting kicked out of Pittsburgh thing, I don't think there's going to be it's, any. It is crazy. It is crazy that one person is controlling that. And I, I don't necessarily want to get into that, but like other see, states to me, will, I, I agree with you, will have but... fans. I think some will, but I don't know that it gets as high as it did for the Blue Jays thing. I don't see city leadership saying, oh, yeah, we're going to let people come down to Heinz Field. So I don't predict it getting as high as the governor, but maybe it does. I, I don't think it will. I don't think the governor will say, yeah, I'm going to be the person to stop it. But the governor is oh, going to no, tell I think people. He, I think he would. Well, he would. I'm not saying he would. I'm not saying, but I'm saying I don't think he will be the one to do right, it. Right. But I am going to say he's going to be the one to tell people not to do it, and those people are going to be the ones that are going to say, all right, we can't do this. No, it is kind of crazy, though, that every state is different. Every state gonna, is going to be different. It could like, be, though, if, if you read this statement and make some assumptions, the limited capacity could be like 2,000 people, and in a 65,000-seat yeah. stadium, you, you can give like yeah. one family of four an entire section. I know, I know no one is looking at this because no one cares, but people need to look at what NASCAR is doing. And I keep saying this week in and week out. NASCAR is having fans at their stadium or at their races, which is crazy to think about. They had like, I think it was 20,000 at, uh, at their, at their one race, which you're like, Oh my God, 20,000 people. How'd they do it? Well, the whole, it holds a hundred thousand. Right. Right. It holds 150,000, I think. And they spread everybody out. If again, I, I don't, when it comes to outdoor events, you can, I feel like, you, you could look do at the, it. You look at the sports that can do it, or the look at the sports that are doing it, the ones that are trailblazing this, when it, like NASCAR, the MLS. Louisville played a game against the Riverhounds, right. and they had fans. And you look at it and you say, can you do it? And if you can, I firmly believe that teams, if, if they look at the logistics and say, yes, we can have, if we can have 10 people in our stands and we're allowed, then we're going to do it. Yeah, I think I do not predict you see entirely empty Heinz Field with not a no, fan out I, there. I don't. Just, I don't either. There's definitely a way to. And pull I think that people off. are getting tired of it too. And I, I, I know we're talking about. I don't want to talk about the virus too much, but I think people, as a whole, are saying. Because uh, let me ask you this, Dakota. This is kind of an opinion. I want. I want to get your opinion on it. Someone walks up to you and says, "Hey, I got tickets to the uh, the Steeler game tomorrow. You want to go? What would you? Would your opinion be on that? Would you go or no? I, I would need to hear what the the plan is, but there is absolutely away in a place that big when you're outdoors that you yeah. could not be within a thousand feet of someone else let alone six feet so yeah my let's here here's what i think it's going to be let's say what's the sixty-five thousand? how many people can they can hold right something like i think it's even more than that now yeah all right let's say ten thousand ten thousand people everybody spread out would you go uh seating wise i'm in i need to see the What's the plan of getting in and out of the place? Yeah, that's that what I a, think has not been nailed. That is a concern, but I you do. I mean, if you if you're in this for like it's a nice day, you're outside, you're not going to be with around anyone else at the stadium, and then you've got a dismiss yeah. by section plan to get in and out, and you know that it's going to take longer than a regular game potentially. I'm I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, but again, I I think that when it comes to society as a whole. There's a lot more people that would agree to that now than they would agree in June and in May and in April. So I think that as the time goes farther on, 
we're starting to get to a point where people are going to start saying, all right, I'm getting a little tired of not being able to do anything. And I think that that kind of plays to the advantage of the NFL in the sense that they are going to be the ones that I think are going to be allowed to have fans to a lower capacity. I think the only risk that and the big risk that the NFL faces is they're going to be battling a transition from summer to fall and then fall to winter when yeah. it is projected to get worse again. And then you battle the, the public relations stuff. But I mean, but, you look like down to Florida and how everything has really stayed open and you have companies like Universal Disney not taking as much flack for operating in one of the global hotspots. Yeah. I think the NFL can weather whatever public relations storm is oh, thrown their way. Oh, I agree, 100%. As they always have. They never seem, nothing can take them down. And it, it's kind of, it'll be sad when you'll see people who will complain about the NFL and what they're doing, but then turn on their game on TV. And you're like, well, if you right, hate them, right. if you're mad at them for that, then you should be, you shouldn't be mad. Then you don't care about the risk of the players because you're going to turn and watch them on games because you want to watch them play. But you're going to complain about you know, the risk that they're taking. If the but TV ratings the for like MLB opening day or any indication, I have not seen TV numbers for the NHL playoffs. I'd be very curious about that. But NFL week one games are going to have massive TV audiences. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Because people want, people are tired because people want to get back to a, a whatever they can get that is somewhat normal. Right. They're going to, they're going to clamor for it. And I think that that's, that is something that, the NFL has the advantage of. I think they're going to be the ones that are going to be the most normal when it comes to their their stuff. Last topic of the day. We've got some breaking news regarding high school sports in Pennsylvania. We found out just a few minutes before we started recording. Governor Wolf at a press conference recommended no high school sports until 2021. The Post-Gazette wrote this as until January 1st, which I think is just an assumption given what he said at the press conference, which was not a lot. Prior to this news today, we had the PIAA ruling last week that the season could go on as scheduled with modifications, one of which was no fans allowed statewide at high school sports contests. That was an interesting decision that got a lot of blowback. There's actually a bill going through the Pennsylvania House fighting that restriction uh, by the PIAA, we'll see what happens there. But that's a leap that you've got to have games first to worry about fans. The PIAA, I, my, I'm just a guess. completely, in my opinion, what the PIAA did was nonsensical because they made no changes really based on the games themselves or the players that would be involved. They just took the leap to, we're going to have games, but there's not going to be fans there, and that's all we need to do. And they set it up on a silver platter for the state government to say, okay, then you're just not going to play. They, they, I don't want to be mean, but I'm going off my own con or my own opinion or my own um, viewpoints and what I've experienced when it comes to like working. They didn't act like they cared. It's not the fact that they cared. It's the fact that they didn't act like I cared. But we want to show that we care. And I think that that's what the PIAA should have done. They should have said every team, the teams will be socially distanced. They will not organize. They will not. Uh, the fans, if we have them, would be socially distanced. Uh, we will have more protocols when it comes to, uh, let's say, drinks. You know, you can't share a drink, a water bottle. They're not going to be a collective water. Everybody gets their own one. Uh, the referees have to wear masks, um, depending on the coaches would have to wear them too, the trainers or whatever. But they didn't say that. They just said, yeah, we're not. We're going we're gonna to go normal. And to be fair, they put out some <clears throat> insanely huge protocol packet 
that could have had this stuff in there. But what overshadowed it was what they publicized and, yes. and threw out there. And which that's was exactly what the I'm no saying. fan thing and on a scheduled, proceeding as normal, proceeding as scheduled was the message coming from the PIAA, which I mean, you just look at some of the, the things I want to go through here. If a player on the team tests positive, the entire team must quarantine for 14 days. School so districts dumb. around the country or around the state, rather, starting different dates and later in the year than they originally were, which impacts the season. You have school districts starting the school year entirely online. Do you allow students that are completely online? It's not safe per their school board to go to school to allow to compete in contact sports like football. All of these very hard questions that the PIAA just punted. Yeah. And why even bother with these protocols and policies and the Whippeal churning out a brand new schedule, moving everything back a couple weeks within a couple days? Why go through that logistics when you have not answered any of the tough questions and you're either kicking it up to the state government or you're kicking it down to the schools to make the decision, which is, is probably the worst thing that they could have done. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if they, if they wanted to, you know, kind of stay on the, if they wanted to be the safest bet and actually have their season continue like they want, they should have at least shown that they wanted to put safety in safety first just like again i'm saying just like every business and everywhere in america now you see people are still i don't think people are as social distancing as much as they were in march and april but they're going to say that they are and i think that the pia that's the pro that's what that's what they didn't do is what they didn't say we're going to lay down these restrictions and these guidelines and then the local districts kind of don't necessarily follow them but the pia said we did the pia what they should have done said yeah, we're going to do these. We're going to be the ones that tell them it's their fault if they don't do it. But instead, they did it the other way around and said, it's going to be, they're going to be the ones that do it. It's not our fault. I, I, it was not the PIAA that had any thoughts so far, at least that I've read regarding the virtual schooling. But I don't think you can possibly justify a school district saying no students can come in the building. But yeah. the football team can come and practice. Like and I agree, there's just no way you can pull that off. But I, I, I feel bad because imagine being a kid who's playing like you know football or volleyball or soccer. Yeah, and you're kind of a fringe player that could could potentially make a Division One team or a Division Two school, but you don't have your season. You know, it's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, they're these kids, these kids a lot. I, you know, I talked to a lot of these kids they they want to go back they i know that they they don't they want to do these things and absolutely and i think you definitely it's out of their control yeah. and it's crazy to think about right that i i see people i know um union town just canceled their fall sports and there were kids outside of their school protesting it and, and arguing about it and it's it's not not just the parents it's the actual kids you know their their life is being torn away from them and they have absolutely no decision on it and it's kind of crazy to think about that like at a certain point these people aren't they don't have any they don't have any decision for these these crazy protocols and they can't they can't do anything there, there's is, nothing they can do this is somewhat my opinion you had because of how crazy the spring was the fact that spring sports were canceled was not a story like it just yeah. did not get the coverage and also what's part of that is it, spring does not include football. And because football is such a driver, especially in this area, yeah, there's a part of me almost that's like, 
well, let's be fair to the spring sports. No one even yes. talked about the fact that they were canceled. And now just because football is played in the fall, everything else that is played in the fall gets lumped in with it that it has to go on as scheduled. My, my argument for that, though, is interesting. Let's look at the spring sports. What's the most prominent spring sport, would you say? Baseball, I would, I would argue, yeah, right? Yeah. Iowa played their spring, their baseball season this past summer because Iowa runs on baseball. Right. Iowa runs. It's definitely a regional thing. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that you kind of look at it like that, and they they cancel their baseball season in the spring, and then they they went to the summer because they realized that their baseball season is such a driving force in their season. And so now you look at Pennsylvania, a different state that has football is what drives their force. So they're going to be the ones to talk about. People aren't up in arms because baseball season was canceled because baseball doesn't really matter in Pennsylvania, but football does. One uh, other thing I want to talk about here real quick. They, one of the um, governing bodies for national high school sports, the National Federation of High School Sports, said from the beginning that they were opposed to moving fall sports to the spring because it would not allow athletes their normal recovery time between fall and spring sports. I, and I just cannot believe... There is no truth to that statement because especially yeah. here in Western PA, you have football season running into basketball season, sometimes yeah. running concurrently. So you have football players playing basketball yeah, simultaneously. Yeah, playing multiple sports. That is what that is. is That's the what NFHS. the argument should have been. You have the NFHS saying there's normally a recovery period. That is so not true. And, yeah. and there might be like, oh, you've got to sit out one week before going on conditioning. I can promise you there is few, if any, high schools that are following that restriction to a T. And the fact that in this pandemic, the NFHS is going to worry about that cool down period between football and basketball season or what would be in the spring, I guess, if you have a crossover between some football and baseball players being the issue of their health is just insane. And logistically, is anything going to be different? We were talking before the show on January 1st, 2021 than it is today, August of 2020. Even then, yeah. Probably not in terms of is it any safer on January 1st than it is today? I highly doubt it. So if you just punt this to early next year and say we'll figure out how to play fall sports in the spring or move spring sports to the summer, Sure, stop maybe punting. you can. You, but... want, you, want my, you want my opinion is stop punting. Stop punting right. and get a concrete plan now. If you're going to you either... say we're doing this on, in January, then we want a plan on how you're going to do this in January. Yeah. Can you can you can you go for a first down before three and out, or can you just stop or just stop running the ball and then expecting you to get a first down and instead you're tackled because everybody knows it's a run play and now you're forced to punt. Stop punting. Actually, uh, make make some decisions that will impact you and make some decisions that you know that you have a plan going forward and stop pushing things back. So that's, the, that's the final question, 
predictions that I think are unanswerable. It, so it seems like the state guidance is going to be no false sports, but it's a recommendation. It's guidance. You have the PIAA yeah. tending to lean towards the side of we're just going to go on as normal with no fans and see what happens. And then you've got local schools that are going to make the decision, and a lot of them are, are probably going to say, especially if they're operating virtually, no, we cannot have fall sports when we're not letting kids in the classroom. Do we see a Whitfield football season this fall? What do you think? Um, I want to say I want to say yes. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking yes too, even I in spite yes. of the breaking news. I think because I don't, I don't know. Like I look, I look around and I see kids playing sports. I see there's a local little league. Playing That's the around. tough thing. The amateur sports stuff was allowed to to go on as scheduled this summer. If Israel County eventually got to yellow and then green phase in Pennsylvania, yeah. What I, what I, ties this up is school and like they, you can I guess argue that those amateur things outside cannot translate back to school because they're happening in the summer but you're making a lot of leaps and branches and i i, I want them to, to yeah. and i think that they should but i don't see them because of what has happened in this state specifically in the past couple months uh, hypothetical i guess that could have happened is if you had it mandated statewide that we're starting the school year virtually I think that almost increases the chances of a fall sports season because then those kids, regardless of what happens, do not bring it back with them to school. Here's here's my know. opinion. Neither of us are health experts, but uh, yeah, I, my, just the hypotheticals of how this could have gone if there was better planning. We talked about the whole, um, and I'd like there's the planning is so bad because we talked about if if someone tests positive, the whole team has to quarantine for two weeks. How does that work? Okay, first off, if that's the case, I'm never testing my kids. If I'm exactly. a football player, that's I'm never testing them. Exactly, that's what that turns into. You're going to You'll have teams that are people that may be symptomatic or be around people, and the, like, hush-hush, shrug-shrug is going to be, oh, don't go yeah. get tested, which is no. probably the wrong message to say. It's say. either that, yeah. It's either you go get tested it and you don't tell anybody, or say. it's either this kid is, like, you know, he's got the he's he's got flu-like symptoms, he's coughing, he's sneezing. All right, go home, give it two weeks, and then let's see what happens. And we're not going to test you. If you have the coronavirus... You'll probably get better, and then you'll be fine. And it's 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 sad because you, because if that kid gets tested, that kid first off, if I'm that kid, I don't want to ruin a whole season for someone because exactly I got you're That's putting so immense bad. immense pressure on one on kid, these kids, which is messed up. Can you imagine being that kid that has to force people that forces An their team, team to stop playing? Yes. It's so dumb. And that's that's I personally, I'm looking at every sport. Is a sport going to shut down? Why A sports team does not shut down because of one case. And it shouldn't. And I don't understand that. Why should the high school ones do that too? Here's why I think, especially in Pennsylvania, that that happens. We do not have any sort of sophisticated testing in this area yet. And so because you, if there is one person on the team that tests positive, you, you probably get to the point where, yes, there's others, but they're not going to get tested. It's just an, a you-don't-know thing. If these teams had the luxury of the NBA and the NHL of getting tested every day, we, we pull this fall football yeah. season off no problem. I, I, still, I still argue that if everybody tested for their asymptomatic issues, the whole world would be shut down. I, I, I am a firm believer on that. If, if we tested... If we had the idea that if we tested for our asymptomatic cases and we had to shut something down because of that, 
everything would be shut down because one person, I guarantee you someone has been asymptomatic at every single, every single facility and every single place when it comes to, you know, large, large facilities, a school with 3000 kids. I think someone would, I guarantee you, if someone's going back to school, someone's going to be asymptomatic. I guarantee it. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, I, if I'm asymptomatic, I don't want to be that kid that goes for a random test because I want to know if I have it and I'm on a football team and I test positive and I'm not even sick and the whole team has to get shut down. I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, these are just impossible questions that I just think the state completely jumbled this whole thing. You have, I think heat acclimation starts this week for, for fall football. So next week, yeah. I guess it's just, it's a mess that these kids have now been practicing summer workouts have been going on as scheduled and now oh, yeah. there might not be a season. And, and here's my, my take summer workouts have been going on. What's, what's going on with them? Have they had any issues? Has anyone had any issues with that? I know the NCA, I know, that Ohio State canceled workouts and stuff like that because they I, it has not those been kids. going well at colleges. I know that but because they test those kids, right? But and you don't not have that luxury though. at high school, so but yeah, they're I, not. I don't they're, know. Yeah, and that's the thing. They're not sick, but they're testing. So now high school, you're saying, do we test these kids even though they're not sick? And if they do, they'll probably shut down. But they've been going for months now. What's the difference? Yeah, that's I, my I concern. And still, the guidance has been it's not the kids that they're mostly worried about. It's it's not going to be the – it's possible, but it's what happens when they go home, and then it just explodes out of control. So we'll see what happens. That That's all I've got. Spencer, anything else? Um, I have a lot of opinions on this <laughs> whole thing. We could go on you and on about it. I think, I think you can tell what they are, but I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with – the whole thing that's going on. I'm frustrated with the inconsistencies. I'm frustrated with, you know, the lack of awareness and I'm frustrated with how everybody is handling this and how everyone is not necessarily thinking. Yeah. I feel the frustration too. My final thought on this is everything shut down in March. Nothing has improved since March in terms of where we are nationally with this. So it is extremely hard for me objectively to say, how could you know, this just should restart fall sports? And I think you look, like I said earlier, to the spring sports and say, well, why the heck did we shut down and not get to play when it's the same or worse than it was when our seasons got canceled? And I think, I so, think from a standpoint, you have to ask yourself, what is bad? What, what defines bad in this state and what defines bad for? this coronavirus yeah the, is, the frustration is we shut down we lost spring sports we lost all those professional seasons and nothing improved so now you're like you said it's the frustration yeah and i i don't even know if it didn't even i don't even know if necessarily if it's gotten to the point where people expected i don't know if you know i i, I still still argue this i don't i don't know people that are getting sick left and right i don't I know we shut down. We shut down because of that. We shut down because we almost we thought millions of people were going to get sick and die, and now we're to the point where, okay, a lot of people have died from it. How long do we go before we say, okay, we're good? Either we live, either we we move forward and we say, okay, we need to start doing things for ourselves so we don't collapse, or we say, okay, we need to keep shutting down. But at a certain point, you have to, you have to just, you have to think, and you have to look 
forward. And at this, this point, they're not looking forward. They're punting the ball forward. Last thing on this, and then I'll let you wrap up the show. We yeah. had break, more breaking news on this as we were talking. There's going to be an wow. emergency board meeting with the PIAA today. They say that they were, quote, totally blindsided and are going into an emergency meeting to discuss the next steps. They, there is still no state guidance that has not been released. That was supposed to happen this week. Hasn't happened yet. It could be later today. It could be tomorrow. But the PIAA, without that guidance, is still going to have an emergency meeting today. So that will be interesting. Um, and there are also districts, such as the Whippeals District 7. I don't see anything specifically regarding the WPIL. But other districts are meeting today to make decisions on their own. And on top of that, there are some reporters that were covering the press conference that are now saying that Governor Wolf was explicitly referring to the spectators and not to the players. So nobody knows anything. That's the, that's the update. It's so bad. The lack of consistency and the lack of communication between everybody is sad. And I, I these poor kids are getting thrown through the ringer for something that doesn't impact them. I'm I'm going to be honest. This isn't this. These kids aren't these kids aren't still huddling at home away from each other. They're going out and meeting friends. They're hanging out and they're being thrown into this this ringer and their season there are states that have sports coming up and they have the advantage and these kids are going to be able to play and they're going to be able to give show their experience to the scouts and stuff like that and there's other kids that aren't going to be able to live, you know, you don't get your high school career back. No, it doesn't come back. You know, you play, you play your high school season, and that's it. And some of these kids aren't. Some of these kids played their last game eight months ago, and they'll never know. They didn't even know. Crazy stuff. It's it's crazy. But even crazier is the fact that we had an interview with none other than Billy Mays the third earlier this week, and that is what we're going to transition to. Of course, Pittsburgh made is is our show title, and Billy Mays like. His father, the great Billy Mays that you'll hear on all the infomercials that you have known, was also from Pittsburgh, so we had some time to talk to him about that. And that is what we're going to go to next. Logan Carney here with a fantastic guest. That's right, if you recognize that intro, it's a little bit play on the guest that we have today. Billy Mays III, son of the legendary pitch man, Billy Mays. Uh, we have a great, from Pittsburgh, great guest today. Our first guest on Pittsburgh Mays, so we're very excited to have you. Billy, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so why don't we just start at the bat, you know, you and your dad, um, we're both from McKees Rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you just talk about, you know, just growing up in Pittsburgh and how it influenced, uh, you know, both you and your dad's life. Yeah, so my dad grew up in Still Rocks, uh, played football as a linebacker, um, got in a lot of fights. I think some fights he won. I think I've heard he got beat up a couple times. Um, he met my mom <laughs> at Still Rocks High School. They both went there. And, um, yeah, I... I I grew up in Kennedy Township, which is like sort of up the hill from there, which is a little bit less impoverished. Um, but the rocks are still a big part of my my family. And I, I mean, I still go there, you know, once a year at least for the holidays or something. So do you so um, you live in Florida now? Is that correct? Yep. St. Pete, Florida. 
And is that where your, because um, I know your dad moved down there. Um, yeah. So, so he, do you live around there? He lived in pretty much like the Clearwater area. And when I was growing up, I would visit him um, in the summers, like uh, pretty much the whole time that I was a kid, my dad lived in Florida. Um, and I would come visit in the summers and he'd be traveling um, when he wasn't in Florida with um, home and garden shows and stuff like that and, and fairs. So I think the uh, the question that is probably you get all the time, uh, what out of, out of all the products that your dad promoted, mm-hmm. is, is there any that you still use and which one is your favorite? Huh. Um, well, I mean, there's the iconic ones, the OxyClean, Kaboom, Orange Glow, they were all uh, under the same company and they were ended up being bought by Church and Dwight, which also owns Arm and & Hammer and Trojan Condoms. So those ones sort of like lived on way beyond him. Um, I think OxyClean is pretty legit for the most part. I don't really use it that much. I just use like hippie uh, detergent and it kind of does the job for me. Um, I'm trying to think of what I, I mean, I don't even know. I can tell you I, this much. I don't even know. I didn't even know what OxyClean was as a kid, but when your dad was pitching it, I 100% wanted to buy it just solely funny. along that. I mean, I, don't even, <laughs> the, I didn't even know the, what it was, but I was like, we need to get this. The mighty, nice. the, the mighty putty commercial is always my favorite. With uh, the uh, pulling up the tractor trailer. Yeah. That one was I remember always that. my favorite. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a cool line. There was like the mighty tape. And the mighty put yeah. and the mighty mend it was like for fabric, I think. Yeah, and, and my one of the last one of the last commercials he sh- ever shot was the mighty tape, I believe. Yeah, I work at Walgreens now. And they still we still sell the mighty tape. Really? No, yeah, I think that and the sheets up here sells mighty tape too. I see it all the time. Nice. The only the only product that I think my dad is still on the um, the packaging for is the gopher. You know, like the little grabber, it's, it's like a grabber tool for, for like picking up trash or like for old people to reach stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little grabber arm that you, you press a trigger and it like suctions onto things. And I'll still see that one sometimes at like a CVS or something. And it's still the old box. And I guess probably cause they just ordered millions and millions of them back in the day and they're still moving them. <laughs> Now, did you did you work in like the um, the uh, promotion industry like like your yeah. dad did? Did you help with them along the way? I actually did. Um, after college, I I went to college down here in Florida for um, for recording arts and entertainment business, and uh, so I was like musician and stuff. But right after college, I ended up just kind of getting into the work that my dad was doing as in he brought me on set one day and introduced me to the boss, like the director, the producers, and just said, put him to work. And it was sort of seen as like an annoyance, I think. And um, my my producer at the time, Pete, always said that like he, he didn't really have high expectations for... <laughs> for me as a worker, but then I ended up just working my ass off because I was just a production assistant. I was the literally the lowest of the totem pole, just above an intern. And if we didn't have interns, so I was just painting walls and getting coffee and stuff like that. So I kind of just, I got into that for years. I, I actually still shoot, still go on shoots sometimes and work 
ever, you know, if it comes up, but yeah, I, I was in the business for pretty much the time from the time I was 21 till, you know, the present on and off. And now we look, we read, obviously, I mean, when we were interviewing you, you know, before we did a little research on you, and the, uh, one of the things that we looked into is your music career. Uh, would you like to talk about that? So, um, I believe you, you have an album coming out soon, right? Is it yeah. Is Sort of, yeah. I, I, um, I have a live album coming out. It's just a live recording, and I'm releasing it this Friday, uh, which I don't know when this podcast will be on, but... Uh, it's it August. should be on by then, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, August seventh. Um, Bandcamp. Uh, if you're familiar with Bandcamp for musicians, they have a they have a Bandcamp day the first Friday of every month where they since COVID where they waive their fees and anything purchased through the website goes straight to the artists. So, I decided to release a live album. But yeah, I, I've been a musician for um, since high school. I've been playing music, and I didn't. I didn't actually do anything too seriously with music until the year my dad died, which was 2009. I, it's sort of the birth of my music career was my dad's death. I, I was working on an album at the time when he died and that sort of shocked me out of it and it made me um, like not really know what to do next. And it took a few months and then I realized that making the album is sort of my therapy and what I needed to do at the time. So that was December of 2009 was my first official album that was released publicly. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I can relate to that on a personal note. I mean, it seems like, you know, a lot of stuff like that comes out of tragedy. Um, it's unfortunate it is because I know I just watched the, the Michael Jordan documentary, for example, and mm. Steve Kerr became a good basketball player because whenever his father passed away um, over overseas at American University when the uh, when he was executed, he became into basketball. Um, but for my personal thing, you know, I have tried to get into writing, and one of the reasons that I got into writing was to um, sort of release from the from after I lost my mom in 2012. Uh, wow. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I got into writing. And then my brother, my younger brother, is actually a musician, too. Um, pretty good guitarist. Cool. And he got into music, too, for um, after my mom passed away. So I, I can definitely relate to, uh, to, to, to what you're saying about that. Yeah, I think I, in my experience, it kind of just, on one hand, it, it, it illuminates what you need to be doing just to, just to feel good about yourself. And then also, I think it, it puts in perspective, like, what do you want to do with your life? And I, I think that's where it came from for me. So with, with the name Inf- Infinite Third is the name, correct? Yeah. Uh, Infinite so third, I'm, yeah. I'm going I'm gonna to assume third is for, you know, be, you're being the third. But where did you get yeah. the name from? Um, yeah, it was sort of just looking for a name back then around 2009. Um, I actually had a... I have two. I only have two tattoos, and for some reason, one is an infinity symbol on my right inner wrist, which is like sort of cliche, I think, at this point. But um, on the left wrist is a third symbol because I always sort of just embrace that that I'm the third in the in the chain. And uh, one day, I was just looking at my wrists, and I put them together, and that's really the the simple story of it. But I, I think I also enjoyed the name because you you don't necessarily it doesn't really make sense as a phrase and it sort of makes people say, what does that even mean? 
and um, I, I like that people can sort of, some people think it means something to do with music, uh, music scales and stuff like that, which it kind of does too. And really for me, it's just the third is my human sort of limited side and the infinite is more just what I'm pulling from when I make music, you know, whatever anyone wants to believe, but just that energy of whatever's beyond being human. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask about, because the whole reason that, you know, Billy Mays was on my mind was because I saw the South Park episode with Billy Mays. Nice. <laughs> and I know, I know it's, I'm, re, I'm reading the wiki here. We were, we were on the fence about it, as, asking about it, but we read on the wiki here that you were a fan of the episode. So I was, I wanted, yeah. So uh, hear your thoughts on the episode about, about uh, with Billy Mays in it. Yeah, uh, I was a huge South Park fan growing up, like most kids, most boys, I guess. Uh, and I I had actually, I think this was, my dad died June 28th, 2009, and I think this was around August of 2009. I remember pretty much the week that it was airing. So I think South Park airs on Wednesdays. And they make the episode over that week, so you know nothing really leaks that much. But I, we did get some word that there was going to be that the season premiere was about dead celebrities, and that my dad was heavily featured in it. And I think this was probably a day or two before it was airing, so I got a little bit nervous, and I started thinking, "Oh God, what are they going to do?" <laughs> and uh, so I didn't tell anyone. Like I didn't tell any friends. And at the time, I was super active on Twitter with a bunch of people, sort of like in mourning about my dad. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't post about it. And then I just I just sat in my apartment alone and watched it. And I remember just being like so relieved that it was that it was what it was. And I I felt it was oddly uh, comforting. And I, I felt like I was a little bit emotional, even though it was so goofy and and over the top. I just got like emotional thinking, wow, my dad's on South Park right now. This is just crazy. It seems like one of the more, um, like one of the more um, respectful portrayals that they've done uh, of your dad in terms of some of the other celebrities that they lampoon on there. It's true, uh, and even in that episode, I felt that uh, you know they were a little bit harsh on David Carradine and I guess Michael, but you know Michael's kind of beyond being viewed yeah. as a human by the public <laughs> by now, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I I definitely thought that it was a fun, like they clearly had like a pet uh, fondness for my dad by when they wrote the episode, you can tell. One of the other television projects, aside from the commercials that your dad was involved in, was the Discovery show Pitchmen. I just want to hear you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the production of that and your involvement with that show. Yeah, uh, that was exciting. That was... Uh, something that was a few years in the making at the time and I was I'm actually in a few of the episodes uh, like I said I was a production assistant so uh, there were probably about there's, there's probably about six episodes where you see me in the background running around but um, there's two episodes in particular that I'm kind of heavily featured in and one of them is, is called uh tale of three billies and it's a it's sort of about me and my dad and my grandfather which is pretty cool to have where they basically 
took my dad's or my grandfather's invention that he had, which was basically a rotisserie for people <laughs> where he would, uh, it was a rotating tanning chair where it, it, you, if you're sitting in the sun, it would rotate you um, over time. <laughs> and it was super goofy. It was literally just a lawn chair on a spinning thing. <laughs> and I don't know if they ever thought the product was going to be successful, but I think the producers really wanted to just have some interaction between us all. So <laughs> in, in that same episode, they're talking about that. And then I also got to direct my dad in a local commercial for um, his brother-in-law's Italian restaurant in like this really obscure part of Florida. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I directed that and it was kind of just a goofy uh, segment on the show where he's sort of giving me a hard time and I'm, and <laughs> there's just all this, you know, it, it was a really fun was, moment in my life. It was it fun to be the boss of him? Totally. Yeah. It was, they kind of played <laughs> it up too. Like the producers wanted me to sort of be harsh on him and stuff like that. Um, but then there was one other episode that was kind of funny. I was, it was a, it was about, um, this thing called the Gator Blade, which was, uh, windshield wipers that were supposed to be super heavy duty and could get any gunk off of any windshield at any time. And it was one of the few non-successful products on the show. Like it, it never worked. Uh, but they did a commercial for it. And there's actually a photo of my dad that's sort of a little bit of a meme where he's holding a big bazooka, pointing it at a car. And uh, that was actually a bug bazooka. They loaded it up with a bunch of crickets and they fired it at the windshield of this car. And, I, and I'm sitting there on set, genuinely like, this is super ignorant. Like, why are we wasting all these <laughs> crickets doing this? And I, I was sort of vocal about it because I, I did have a little bit of my only perk of being my dad's son was that on set I could kind of get away with a few things like that, but I still had to, I'd still get yelled at for <laughs> shit, but it was, it was more like I could get away with like little complaints and stuff if people weren't being treated right. So I, I decided to vocalize that and the producers kind of provoked me to, to take it further. And at, and at one point in the day, they were like, hey, there's the there's the little box of crickets. You should just run with it. And I was like, okay. And I just did it just sort of as a joke. I was like, I'm freeing these crickets. And I run away with the crickets. But when they, when they edited the episode together, they made it this super dramatic thing, like right before the <laughs> commercial, like where I'm running away with the box and everyone's going, Billy, no, what are you doing? But then like... Right when they come back from commercial, I just come back with the box. It was super stupid. <laughs> but yeah, that, that show was super fun. And um, it was sort of like our peak as, you know, the Billy Mays dynasty. Like it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a hit at the time. I think they got 3 million viewers or something on the premiere, which was huge at the time for cable TV. And I knew that it was just a big deal and and they were they treated it like it was a big deal and the the weird thing of the timing was my dad died the week before the season finale aired so i'll never forget uh sitting at the hotel lobby in pittsburgh at the sheridan uh over in uh station square sitting in the lobby with a bunch of friends and family 
watching that final episode like the the night before the funeral and they they aired it but they had a bunch of like tributes at the commercial breaks and stuff like that so it was a super weird time oh i saw that at the uh, funeral they the pallbearers dressed in his outfit his blue shirt and khaki pants yeah yeah it's kind of <laughs> I, mean, I, th- I thought that that was pretty cool. Was, was that your idea behind it, or I don't think it was my idea. Maybe, maybe it was. I'm not really sure. I think it was sort of just like the most obvious tribute. It was too fitting. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was fitting. Like I think to the outside, it might. Some people might think it looked a little bit corny or whatever. But from the minute it was floated, the idea to like doing it to the pictures, we were just like, this just makes sense. Like, I don't know. I just I, I enjoyed the whole thing like that, I that, think, that that was the angle we took. I think the big thing about your dad just kind of thinking of like watching these these clips and watching these infomercials is that he just he seemed so passionate about his work. And I think that yeah. that really resonated towards a lot of people. You know, when you see tweets about like Billy Mays and stuff like that, like it's not like slander or anything or how corny it is. It's just how passionate he really was about selling these products. And he seemed like every every commercial he wanted you to get excited for something and he wanted you to know that this is such an amazing product and he wanted you you know be really interested in it i think that that really resonated totally yeah i think that just comes from he was a lot of people don't realize that he he didn't get famous at all or even on tv until he was uh like 40 and he died when he was 50 so there was really only this 10-year period where he was sort of known and really i would say the last three to five years of his life were when he was really famous and well known but literally from the time he dropped out of wvu which is a whole other story he uh he pretty much just traveled the country as a carny just like a a traveling pitchman on boardwalks and all the different state fairs and everything selling just basic products like a food processor a hand cranked food processor called the salsa master was a big one i think his first major one was the washmatic which was a hose that could you could wash your car with from a bucket so you just like it uses pumping air to to shoot water out of a bucket so you could wash your car anywhere and so these were these were his original products that a lot of people don't know about and they were sort of the basic carny products but he would make any of them work including like chamois like the sham wow that's a that's an age-old product that everyone has pitched that uh he, he also did traveling the circuit so i think a lot of people don't realize that he was much more blue collar his whole life than you know that final act where he was sort of becoming a, a quote-unquote celebrity was sort of so unknown to him and you know, that, I think that's why he kept that relatability was because he was still just and that it, guy for sure. And it's really an interesting path to becoming a celebrity. I mean, you don't, you don't see, I can't think of, you know, his partner, Anthony Sullivan's probably the only one other commercial person that I could think of that got famous by doing, by promoting prog- um, products mainly. Yeah, I think. So like, it's interesting. I think the, the predecessor to my dad was, um, Ron Popeil, if you're familiar with him, he 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 sort of pioneered the the 30 minute infomercials, 
that were in front of a live studio audience and just sort of like infotainment where they're trying to get you to buy something. And he was, I think he was only like, I think that's what he was, is he was a pitch man. So he's pretty famous. And um, he actually, he's, he's like a legend. He's who my dad looked up to basically in that realm. But I think you're right. Most people go the other route and they become a celebrity somehow. And then they pitch a product uh, where my dad was sort of just famous for the pitching itself. So did, um, for your dad, did it kind of just, you know, cause you said, you know, he went around and the, the, the blue collar carny like attitude, just pitching products around the country. Uh, what happened that caused him to go from that to the commercial guy? Did, did he just get discovered by like a TV executive or did some company put a lot of money behind one of their products and it just kind of took off from there? Well, there's sort of a, a point that you can point to of how it, it shifted to TV. Because I think, I think what happened was he was pitching at one of the fairs. I'm not sure which one. It might have been like Milwaukee or something like that. There was a couple of big ones that are regionally uh, huge. But he was pitching some... I'm not even sure what the product he was pitching was. But next to him, at the booth next to him, was this inventor, these brothers... Um, who had this product, which was, I think it was Orange Glow, actually, not OxyClean, which Orange Glow is a, a wood polish, basically. But whatever it was, it was one of those products, and they, they forgot their microphone, their headset microphone. So my dad let them borrow one of his. So that's how they met. It was just a very simple meeting. But then I guess as the fair went on, they sort of struggled to sell shit, and my dad, selling whatever product he was, always had a huge crowd and was just crushing it all the time. Because that was another thing, was my dad did, he was sort of the baller of this line of work. I used to go <laughs> to the, these home and garden shows. Like, the, the Pittsburgh home and garden show was when I got to spend the most time with my dad growing up. I would, I would basically stay with him that whole week, and I would sit under the booth while he was pitching. So I would be playing with X-Men toys or wrestling figures the whole time and uh so i i got to witness him basically generating way more excitement than anything else in this whole convention center every day and it was sort of a spectacle and all the other pitch people would come and watch him and just sort of cheer him on so anyway that happened and the brothers next to him that had the inventor the invention basically just said we need you to pitch this product and from there, I'm pretty sure he, he probably pitched it at a couple shows, but what happened next was they, they decided to take it onto Home Shopping Network, and, which was live. So it, it really did well for what he was good at, which was high-level excitement and improvisation and sort of just generating buzz by people not wanting to change the channel. So the next step after that was... OxyClean was such a hit on the Home Shopping Network that Anthony Sullivan, Sully, and my dad partnered to make a two-minute infomercial, which was sort of unheard of at the time, a short-form infomercial where it's like, call now. So they're, they basically pioneered this, this format that became my dad's thing, which was not the long-form infomercial. Like, you don't need as much time to get people to convince that they need a thing. So... I mean, that's, that's the trajectory that led to 
him being on TV. And, I'm, and there's a lot of um, companies involved with that, such as media buying companies that had to believe in it and uh, for, you know, order fulfillment companies and stuff like that. But it really comes down to OxyClean becoming a two-minute infomercial that translated to this kind of paradigm shift for my dad and for the industry itself. Billy, I think one of the ironic products that your dad went on to sell later on was the product of TV itself and partnering with ESPN when they were launching ESPN 360. You could talk a little bit about that and how that came to be. Man, I actually don't know the details of how that came to be. I think if I had to guess, because I think that was in in the year before he died, like that final year, he would sort of reach the new level. Final two years, along with Pitchman, I think, he sort of transcended the infomercials themselves to where he could kind of do any product. But I think that was when people started reaching out from outside the, the direct response industry. And so ESPN 360 was one of them. Um, and I, I actually think what happened with that was, I know he went to the Super Bowl and I know he went to one of the bowl games for college right, yeah. and he appeared, he appeared in the crowd and they did a, he did a, promo like down on the field yeah, and yeah so we were just we funny. were just watching that clip actually it's on youtube it's, it's he's he's in the he's in the uh one of the bowl games and he's they throw it down to him to kind of pitch to watch the uh the new year's day bowl games uh, and it's it's amazing and the, the funny thing is you watch the game there are players for i think it's florida state is who he's sitting at and there are players taking pictures with him during the game there are guys who are in full uniform and they're asked to take a picture <laughs> with them during the game yeah I mean, he, he, that was how it was because I used to travel with him a lot. So that was where I noticed it the most was in airports. It, it, we would just have a crowd around us all the time in the last couple of years before he died. And I was constantly taking pictures for people and stuff like that. But the funny thing was my dad would – for one thing, he had a bad hip. And, like, he had two different hip replacement surgeries that both didn't work on the same hip. And – uh a lot of people don't know that the 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 day after he died was scheduled his third hip replacement on that hip. So uh, they were saying if that one didn't work, that he might not be able to walk anymore and stuff. So anyway, I'd bring that up to say my dad had this presence in airports where he obviously looked like himself with the beard and everything, and he was kind of a big guy, but he he would always have this suitcase and a cane. He would and in that suitcase. He had autographed pictures, like pictures that he could autograph for people because he knew that he was going to get stopped by everyone. So it was sort of just a way to connect with people where they'd say, are you Billy Mays? He'd be like, yeah, hold on. And then he'd get out an autograph. He'd get out a picture, a promo picture, and be like, what's your name? And they'd be super happy, and their day was made, and then they'd take a photo. And I have plenty of people reach out to me all the time that took a photo with him at an airport or at an event or something like that and say how excited he was. But he was he was definitely the kind of guy that once that happened he'd kind of hang out. <laughs> Whereas I don't think a lot of celebrities are quite like that, where they would they would actually just sit there and talk to the person a lot. And he he was kind of known for just being like, "Well, what do you do? What's going on? Like, what's what's your deal?" And like I watched him do it, and I think it was just genuinely he liked talking to people. So once the 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 starstruck bit was out of the way, it was much more fun to just hang out and. You know, he always had a friend at the airport in that sense. Was he, uh, was he, was he as 
was was he like the, the TV the TV always excited always upbeat person was that how he was in real life too like the always energetic about everything that he's doing everything that he's saying is that how he was in real life um for the most part I th- I th- like that was a genuine part of his personality like when he got married remarried to my stepmom I I was I was in high school I I was the best man in the wedding he was definitely it was where i got to see that he was this sort of magnet for energy just in general so at his own wedding i wish there was a video of this there might be he he basically did a solo dance of everybody was kung fu fighting where he's doing this whole like (laughs) this whole thing and i think that was sort of a a taste of how his personality mixed with the the pitchman personality that you see but what a lot of people don't know is that when he when he didn't have it turned on, he was super quiet and sort of soft spoken. Really, and that was sort of like who I knew was that, and I, and I do think that that also came with where he was in life with his bad hip and everything, and just the way his life was so exhausting, having to fly everywhere and do all these shoots all the time on a bad hip. Um, but a lot of people who know him well know that like when he wasn't in front of the cameras or in front of a crowd, he was pretty chill, honestly. Do you kind of take that mentality towards yourself? Do you think that that's kind of been passed down towards you in the sense that like, let's, you know, I'm going to use an example, your music. Do you try and use that same mentality with, within your, you know, the music that you create or do you kind of have more like a laid back and kind of a lot of your own kind of personal style? Yeah, uh, that's. I mean, I I definitely for sure think that, I or I I always do recognize the parallels between our lives and our careers, even though they're extremely different. They're also really similar. And uh, as far as personalities go, I do think I'm a pretty soft-spoken person, and I don't really, yeah, like like you said, I I sort of with my music, I it's it's instrumental. It's sort of laid back a lot of the times. Um, I think it's sort of the opposite of what my dad did in that sense. So like when I'm in public, I sit on the ground with my guitar and a bunch of pedals and I make this sort of ambient music that sort of builds up slowly and sort of draws you in that way, which I find kind of funny uh, seeing as what my dad did. But, But at the same time, when my dad died, I remember people sort of hinting that I should get I should just step up and become a pitch man and I remember at the time being like no I'm an artist and I don't really do that and it's a good thing because I was pretty young at the time and I I don't think I would have been able to handle anything like that but as the years went on I did notice that my path kind of became super similar in mirroring my dad's path whereas I was independent touring musician touring my little regional circuits of the country and playing music and then also selling my merch and selling my music to people and all the networking that comes with that. And I realized, man, I, I tried to not be a pitch man, but I definitely had to become one just to, just to do what I do. <laughs> and, and it was, and I would see pictures of my dad from back in the day where he would sort of travel. And I noticed that how similar it was, was my dad's pitch was sort of his performance. And then the product was what he was pitching. And for me, 
I have my performance and then like the product is also what I'm pitching, but they're sort of separate worlds. And then I'm selling a record of what I'm performing. Whereas his was sort of the performance was because of the product. So I, I see it all the time, the little parallels in our personalities and our experiences. So a lot you talk about billymaze.org, uh, which of course, yeah. if, you, if you just want to you know, talk about that for a little bit, uh, what's it about where you guys donate money, sell stuff, uh, how, they get, how that all works out? Yeah, um, it, it sort of started as just a, a website that I would collect all the all the memes and all the art and tributes and stuff like that. And I, I over the over the past ten years, eleven years, I've always kept websites like that. Like I, I think originally it was a Tumblr, and it's sort of I've always shared this stuff anyway. So the newest iteration of BillyMaze.org sort of happened about two or three years ago, maybe three years ago. And uh, I just sort of made the website and I made it how I would want it to live forever, which is sort of a digital museum presentation of all the stuff, one place you could go to look at everything. But in the back of my mind, what I always wanted to do was use my dad's image and likeness and just energy to raise money for good causes that I believe in. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that. And I've I've explored a bunch of different ways, but it sort of came about naturally now. Um, it's sort of just on a project by project basis. So the first, the, the thing that sort of launched it was a, a local brewery. It's actually the Florida's first craft brewery um, called the Dunedin Brewery. It's in Dunedin, Florida, where my dad lived actually, which is right outside of Clearwater. And they, they came to me and said, we want to do a Billy Mays IPA. And I said, that sounds awesome. Can we do like a charity thing with it? And so they were all about it. And uh, they basically took this IPA that they had and they they did an orange twist with it where it was like orange, uh, I don't know, I think it was like orange, whole oranges maybe, or like the whole rind and everything. And they put it in the thing. And then we ended up with a with a beer that we raised a couple thousand dollars for this this cause called the laundry project which is florida based and they host free laundry pop-up days at laundromats so they'll do a whole day at a laundromat usually in like impoverished neighborhoods where you can just bring in as many loads of laundry as you want and they pay for it and they help you do it and you know all the machines are filled the whole day and i volunteered with them a few times so um i just thought it was the perfect uh, like partnership for my dad and me and you know my dad used to say long live your laundry so <laughs> yeah so that was the first one that was the first one and then uh, the second one then, yeah, uh, so, go ahead sorry to interrupt I just have to ask do they use OxyClean at that pop up laundry uh, actually no they, they don't it's because they get a local Whoa. there's a local <laughs> detergent um, company that donates all of their detergent. So the whole thing is always donated. Like, so they don't pay for any. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah, so I, I've always wanted to get OxyClean involved, but to be honest, they're a little, they've always been a little weird to me, uh, just about, you know, including me or partnering with me in any way. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I hope one day that they'll they'll sort of look to me to help with the brand in some way. 
because I I think there's a lot to be done still if if you wanted to, like philanthropy wise and brand wise, if you wanted to sort of pay tribute to my dad in some way with OxyClean, I think that would be totally possible to do in a tasteful way. Yes. Especially those, the, yeah, like those big ones, like OxyClean's probably, would you say that was like the biggest one that he, uh, biggest product that he pitched? Oh yeah, I, for I, sure. I, I feel like that's the one that was most on TV a lot. Yeah, for sure. Well, that one, that one basically, that was the one that was, it's the equivalent of like an app being bought by Facebook is they, they made this little product, OxyClean, so powerful as a brand that it got bought by this big conglomerate. And so the, the weird part is that my dad didn't actually make, make money from that, uh, from that sale. It was sort of a controversial thing was uh, the, the company got sold to Church and Dwight and they assumed that my dad came with it as the spokesperson, but there was no contract in place for that. So it caused this big controversy, controversy and this big uh, conflict between all the parties. So my dad always felt pretty wronged by the company that uh, those those brothers that, uh, you know, he sort of helped make the brand what it is, and then they sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever, and they didn't even really pay him out. They they basically went to dinner with him and gave him a Rolex, and he was super offended and thought that he should be you know taken care of more. Did he, um, when those deals worked, did he own some of the products or did he just get paid to promote them for commercials? Did he actually own a share in some of the products? Um, well, so that's, that's a good, uh, what I was just talking about with OxyClean, that was one where once the sale was made to Church and Dwight, my dad actually ended up signing a contract with Church and Dwight to just be a spokesperson. So they, I think they paid him like, a decent yearly salary just to do something like six commercials and a couple live appearances uh, every year. So that was one that he did not own was OxyClean. But if you see a lot of those little products such as the Mighty Line and uh, the Gopher or whatever, all those little products that you know about, they he usually would own a small stake in them. Like he would negotiate for points percentages of of the uh of the revenue and stuff like that but yeah so there was sort of a trade-off of like the bigger the company or the or the product itself like he would get paid but he wouldn't be able to own a piece of it so like espn 360 and stuff like that he would never be on an ownership level with it but he i think what he really loved doing was taking small products from inventors and actually partnering with them and sharing the profits with them rather than sometimes these big companies would buy up little products and sort of cut the inventor out and only give them a small bit of royalties. Whereas my dad would try to make them successful without needing the big corporations behind them. As part of the spreading the message of billymaze.org, you seem very well connected on social media with the fan base and looking to see how Logan and you guys got connected in the first place. We're going to talk about your involvement with the community and, and how you get the word out for billymaze.org. Uh, well, to be honest, I, I, it's sort of low key. I, I haven't really done any huge like PR or anything like that, but I, I feel that one day there will be a, a bigger partnership that comes along 
because so far, like I said, we did the beer, and then randomly, also beer related, the next thing we did was a a tumbler glass with my dad on it. That was actually a collaboration with a Pittsburgh company called Fueled by Hops. It's a it's a collective of people that love craft beer in the in Pennsylvania, basically. And so they came to me and asked if uh, they wanted if they could do a glass. And I I said the same thing. Yes, let's do it for charity. And um, so those have been the two products, basically, that we've done. So I, I'm sort of waiting for the next big thing that would be a good match for for a partnership like that. And I don't even know what form that would come in. Personally, my 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 real dream is to be asked to be a pitchman, but like in a parody kind of way. And I would like to do that <laughs> by partnering with Taco Bell. <laughs> Because <laughs> a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know that my dad was, uh, he he signed a contract to be the spokesperson for Taco Bell, a, a few months before he died. Oh wow! So they were going to do a whole series of infomercials, sort of. I'm sure they were like parody infomercials, but uh, that was super exciting. That I think that was the biggest deal he had signed to date at that time. But they never got to shoot anything, so the deal kind of just ended with his death. But I always thought it would be cool to sort of sign me with Taco Bell and have a have a cinematic commercial that's sort of about me fulfilling my dad's destiny as the spokesperson for Taco <laughs> Bell and like me me not being ready and sort of having to do like training training montage like samurai type thing and then I, I've actually worked out this vision quite a lot is that that would all happen and then. And then you think right, about this a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something I, I really want to do because I genuinely eat Taco Bell on tour a lot because they have a lot of vegetarian options. Uh, so the, it would be this whole epic uh, buildup of me not being ready, but then having to train and going to the mountains or whatever, eating Taco Bell on the mountain. And then finally, I've created or, or I've completed my transformation where I have the black beard and I'm, I'm, I put on the uniform. I got the blue shirt on with Taco Bell on it. And like, I, I picture it like this eight mile moment where I'm in this hallway, like getting psyched up and getting ready to go on to set to shoot the commercial. And then it was gonna be like, right when I'm walking on to set, that you see the bright lights, but then it just ends there. And it's a Super Bowl commercial and it says, <laughs> go to tacobell.com to see the infomercial. And then the actual infomercial is on tacobell.com. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever thought about just taking a camera and just filming it i've thought about it i i don't know i i think it would be awesome to just sort of like convince taco bell's social media people that that's what <laughs> needs to happen and and my my idea is that like I, i'm aiming for this because i would love for that to be what funds the the organization is that i get to make some kind of deal with a big company and then say well basically a percentage has to go to this cause you know I always thought that would be a cool thing to do. Um, but yeah, so as far as that, that's that's my like pie in the sky vision <laughs> of something totally random happening with the, the organization. But otherwise, I just do little pop-ups here and there where I'll, I'll put out a sticker or a, a shirt. Recently, I, I had a box of shirts with my dad's face on them that uh, I just wanted to get rid of the box that I found. So I said... Every, literally 100% of the profits from this box will go directly to the Navajo Nation for their COVID-19 uh, 
relief fund because they they had been hit with it pretty hard, and that was that was actually that felt really good because in in the span of about a week we raised something like eight hundred bucks or something, and uh, yeah, it just felt good to to give that money and it was su- such a super easy, low effort project. I didn't have to spend any money. I just got to give money. Just real quick, uh, Billy, if you just want to like you know, kind of plug everything that you have related to your music, billymaze.org, stuff like that, and the proceeds and how, I know you said your your live album's coming out, proceeds will be going towards stuff like that and along with the website. Yeah, uh, billymaze.org, everything's there. The website sort of just stands alone. Uh, we, Like I said, we kind of just do pop-up projects from time to time, so I'm sure there will be. You can get, you can actually order, you can always order stickers from there. There's a little shop, but we're currently sold out of shirts, and I don't know when we'll do the next one. But, um, yeah, the proceeds from the stickers also go towards the causes that we support. So uh, music-wise, infinitethird.com. Spelled out T H I R D. Uh, you could just search Infinite Third on YouTube or wherever, and I have or Spotify even. I have tons of music out there. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.